The history of television is a history of failure. For every television series that lasted years and years, there were dozens that lasted only one season or less. But did they deserve to die? Or were they... Cancelled too soon? And welcome back to Cancelled Too Soon, the podcast where we review television shows that lasted only one season or less. My name is William Bibiani. I am a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. Indeed. Yeah, thought I'd give you some suspense, but then <laughs> I thought about maybe switching up my nickname. We've done 225 episodes with this nickname. Maybe time to change a new one. Nope. I am set in my ways. I am old, old, old. Whitney, who are you? My name is Whitney Seibold. I've been I've been old this whole time. Nice. I, I'm not uh, not. I was about to say I'm not any older, but I guess I am older. I'm older every yeah. second. Older, um, wiser. And uh, we've all aged quite a bit since our last episode. Yeah. So we 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 announced that we were back on track, and then Whitney was like, "No." And well, so then, that's then fine. Whitney started a nine to five job, and it's yeah. uh, well. We thought that that would make her schedule easier. It turns out, no. No, it turns <laughs> out it's just big old monkey wrench. We're still figuring it out. We're mm. we're still adjusting to a new paradigm over here. But uh, we've we have been keeping canceled too soon in our thoughts, and uh, Lord knows we've been very eager to get to oh, yeah. our two hundred twenty fifth episode, uh, and one of our most requested shows ever. Like right from the first episode. This was not the number one, but this is like the number four, five, well, six, when, right up there. When we started this show, it was still red, relatively fresh in people's minds. Yes, that's true. But uh, regardless, it is finally time in this very special anniversary episode to review Terriers. Uh, my partner and I do any number of things. Do you have a pool in these clean? do not have a pool. We recover lost property, locate people. We'll jump down, turn around, pick a bale of cotton if you pay us enough. Keep the pressure on. Are you keeping the pressure on? Yes, I am keeping the pressure on. Do you ever handle domestic cases? What do I have to do? Get laid. Marital infidelities, things like that. It happens to be one of our specialties. Who wants to watch? What's wrong? This thing's a lot more complicated than I thought. I need you to do this. Do what exactly? What have you done with my husband? Look, I don't know the woman, man. I don't know why she'd make up something like that. I'm so scared. Help it! Jesus, God, I hope you have a plan. Oh. This one and uh, Perpetual Grace Limited, uh-huh. or per- Perpetual Grace, uh, they those two have like the most catchy theme songs. They're very chill, but they're very catchy. Like yeah, you will not. After Perpetual you... Grace was like, sometimes you'll ride on a comet, and uh, this one is mm-hmm. uh, riding down to the beach with a javelin man. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure what that means. Mm-hmm. I guess you're gonna go harpooning. Yeah. The, uh, the title of the theme song is Gunfight Epiphany, and it was nice. written by, uh, uh, let me look it up, Robert Duncan. Not to be confused with Robert Duncan McNeil, who played Tom Paris on Star Trek Voyager. Oh, I'm going to confuse them all day long. Thank you very, Ro- very Robert much. Robert Duncan did the music for uh, a, a lot of TV shows like Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Castle and The Unit and Lie to Me. Uh, very successful pro- at what he does. Prolific uh, yeah. uh, composer. And this show was created... Mm-hmm. Uh, 
or uh, one of the executive producers uh, was T- Tim Minear, 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 mm-hmm. Tim Minear, who worked uh, on Buffy the Vampire Slayer and notably Firefly. Yeah, but it was created by uh, screenwriter Ted Griffin, who's probably best known for writing the screenplay or co-writing the screenplay to. Uh, Steven Soderbergh's Ocean's Eleven remake, which is very fondly remembered. It was a huge mm-hmm. hit when it came out. He's also uh, been attached to a lot of uh, movies. Some good, some bad. Uh, let's see here. He did Matchstick Men, the Ridley Scott con artist movie. <laughs> he did Ravenous, which is one of the better horror movies of the 90s. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wrote Rumor Has It, the Jennifer Aniston movie, where it's like she kind of marries into the family from The Graduate, something like that. Yeah, is that what that was about? It's like yeah, this vague follow up to the Graduate, yeah. uh, and also the Brett Ratner film Tower Heist, and many other things. Also, one of the head writers on the show who uh, worked on every episode, Leslie Headland, uh, mm. who is best known uh, nowadays for doing the Netflix series Russian Doll, but she's also uh, executive producing, uh, spearheading one of the upcoming Star Wars TV series over on Disney Plus. So, a lot of really big talented people behind the scenes of Terriers, and in and, front of the scenes. Uh, the show stars Donald Logue, and uh, I love Donald Logue. Uh, yeah. He's, uh, I forgot where I first saw him. For I me, it was, was the Tao of Steve. Yeah, it was in, the, in this indie film in, in yeah. 2000 called The Tao of Steve. The and, Tao of uh, Steve starred Donald Logue as, um, you know, just a, a kind of a big Lebowski-ish kind of guy, kind mm-hmm. of a, a shiftless layabout, uh, you know, fat. But the idea was that even though he... And didn't have a good career, even though he wasn't conventionally attractive. And a lot of the movie is about how he uh, is fat. But uh, he's still incredibly successful with women. And the idea is he's got a good philosophy mm-hmm. on how to approach dating and life. And over the course of the film, he realizes that that philosophy is incredibly immature. Um, I haven't rewatched it in forever. I have no idea if it holds up. I remember it being considered pretty good for its time. Like, yeah. Re- yeah. But for all I know, it's, it's like the um, politics of age. I, I remember yeah. where I saw him first. He, yeah. he was Gunter Janik in Sneakers. Oh my God, that That's is right. where I saw him first. <laughs> Absolutely. He, he was this like, uh, this mathematician who was just sort of like spouting yeah. a lot of uh, mathematics. He's nonsense. kind of the most important character in the movie, but he's barely in it. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. So that's a good the, point. The character, a lot of the main characters are following. I wonder what his first role is. I'm going to look this up right now. Yeah. Ooh, he's in 158 things. Anyway, uh, uh, the... he was in a, a really wonderful uh, uh, sitcom that didn't mm. last very long. Uh, it was a mid-season replacement on mm. Fox called Grounded for Life. Yeah, it and kept, that one was pretty good. It never, it didn't get canceled too soon. Like, it, well, some would argue it, that it did. It didn't get canceled after one like season, five seasons. But it was so always like barely scraping on. Like yeah, barely. Yeah. Like, oh, somehow this movie managed to not to not die on the vine. Uh, looks like his first movie as an actor credited was dude, a lot of tv a lot of TV. oh shit that was sneakers sneakers was his first movie <laughs> it was his yeah. first feature film he did the set uh, and one year later he did three ninjas knuckle up <laughs> so, bit of a bit so of a shift in quality there but he did a lot of tv before that he's done a lot of tv he's done a lot of movies uh yeah. he was in yeah you know, he's been in some high profile mm. stuff he, he played was, harvey uh, bullock in gotham which was good casting he was uh one of uh stephen dorff's vampire minions in the movie blade oh that's right he, he got his arm cut off and then yeah. and he like showed off that he was growing one back but it like wasn't holy it's like i got a new arm man and then, and then uh, Stephen Dorff says, "Hey, hold out your arm, and we'd use this sword to cut it off." It's like, "Oh, come on, man, don't do that." Oh, fine. <laughs> Donald Logue is an unbelievably charming actor. He's yeah. very, very good. Uh, he's really well suited to the role he plays in Terriers, mm. which is uh, an ex police officer, mm. unlicensed private detective, recovering alcoholic mm-hmm. named Hank Dulworth. 
he does working class really well. Mm-hmm. Like the idea is he's very talented, but he is absolutely never going to be rich. He's always going to be <laughs> just just barely struggling by. Mm-hmm. And his partner is an ex-con turned unlicensed private investigator. Uh, played, Br- named Britt Pollock. Britt Pollock, played by Michael Raymond James. Um, at the time, he was probably best known uh, for True Blood, where he had had oh, a recurring role. Uh, but uh, now it is. He might be best known for Terriers. Because uh, he's so. wonderful in this show. He's really, really great. And um, they got a really great, easygoing, laid-back dynamic. Um, mm-hmm. There's a, the- Of all the shows about partners, you know, like The X-Files or mm-hmm. uh, uh, NYPD Blue or et cetera like that, you just want to have a really solid rapport between your leads, whether it's antagonistic or conflicting mm-hmm. or just these yeah. guys are actually really good together. They're good friends. You want to be on a stakeout with them. Yeah, the uh, there's this magic thing that certain actors have together. Uh, sometimes great actors don't even have this, yeah. but this idea that they were friends mm-hmm. before they met that morning on set. Yeah. You know, you you understand that they actually have sort of an established relationship, and and my, Michael Raymond James and Donald Logue have that. Yeah. Uh, the show Terriers, it's ostensibly a, a crime investigation show. It's yeah. about their private investigation, but. 52% of the show is actually <laughs> devoted to their personal lives. Yeah. Like, th- this is more of soap opera than it is a cop it's show. It's not a procedural. It's got the... A lot of television shows that we've seen here on Cancel Too Soon are... Uh, they have an episodic concept. Mm. Uh, we are lawyers. Every week we have a new case. We are doctors. Every week we have a new case. Every, but we there's are, ongoing we dramas with yeah. the characters that are going to last throughout the show. Yeah, and uh, Terry's is kind of set up that way too, except sometimes they don't bother doing a new case this week. Sometimes it's just about their their mm. uh, family uh, drama. Sometimes it's just about their romantic relationships. Sometimes uh, we go into the past and just see where they came from. And sometimes we do get into this uh, overarching story where uh, in between somewhat typical, at least on the surface, private detective cases about uh, investigating if someone's cheating on their husband or... Uh, finding a missing item, etc. cetera. Uh, they also, in the pilot, fall into um, at f- what at first seems like a, a pretty nasty just murder cover-up, and then they realize it's just the tip of the iceberg and there's actually a major sort of real yeah. estate conspiracy going on yeah, in my... this fictional town, which is... No, it's, it's San Diego. It's San Diego, but, but they're also it's... like kind of in like a fictional like suburb there, of it. Yeah, there's like this, uh, I think they call it like Oceanside or Ocean Beach. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's it's this fictional neighborhood within San Diego, but it's also San Diego. It's mostly filmed in San um, Diego. I, some of it I've seen like was filmed like, okay, that looks like Venice Beach, but mostly it seems to be filmed yeah, in San Diego. There's uh, several scenes in Balboa Park, which is mm. in San Diego. I, I go there frequently. There is a, uh, there's a party that is thrown about two thirds of the way through the show. Uh, for uh, Donald Logue's ex-wife who is getting remarried and they're having like an engagement party. And it's on the roof of a hotel where I have been to more Comic-Con parties than I can count. <laughs> and you can, San Diego. And you can see the Comic-Con, like the, the San Diego Convention Center, like right in the background. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, oh, that's where I took a picture with Doctor Who. <laughs> I met Bill Paxton there. That's, really <laughs> that's kind of fun. So yeah, so it's, they really do get a lot of local details mm-hmm. pretty close to right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Hank Dalworth, like I said, recovering alcoholic, and there's a lot of flashbacks in this show. In fact, mm. the second to last episode, the twelfth mm. one, is pretty much all flashback. Yeah, and we get to see how uh, Hank Dalworth lost was, his job. L- yeah, was alien not just lost his job as a cop, but was alienated from his longtime partner. Yeah, uh, who is played by? Let me look up him. Um, 
You got it. You can do it. I believe in you. I'd look it up, but I believe I in you too Detective much. Detective Mark Duke Gustafson, play, Gustafsson, played by uh, Rockmond Dunbar. Ah, yes. Rockmond Dunbar. What a great name. What an amazing name. Uh, yeah, he's sort of like the cop who is always sort of butting into the case early mm. in the series, and it's not until a little bit later that we learn that he's actually Hank's ex-partner. Yeah. Uh, no, I think, I think they talk about it a little bit, but it's never clear how deep their relationship was. Yeah, like they they had, clearly had yeah. a past. Yeah. And there's a bit where he's talking to Brett. It's like, keep an eye out for this guy. He will let you down. Yeah, so they yeah. definitely have something going and, on. And his that. his shtick is he's always chewing on something. He's got like a yeah. cigar or a toothpick. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, they also have uh, uh, Brit has a girlfriend named Katie, played by Laura Allen. She is studying to be a veterinarian. Uh, she actually, I love their relationship for most of the show. Actually, she's well, because actually, they're really into each other. They're real. It's not just that they're really into each other, but they're actually really open with each other. And she knows about his criminal past. And mm-hmm. um, there's a great bit later on where he thinks there's like one thing about his past he never told her. And he's like, this is going to be the thing that ruins our relationship. I have to keep this a secret. And then when he finally just buckles down and takes uh, uh, people's advice and just tells her, she's like, that is horrible. I want you to get out right now. And then I want you to come back in five minutes and tear my clothes off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because yeah, they're good uh, together. I, I appreciate, actually, the amount of emotional honesty in Terriers. Yeah. Uh, it seems like at the start, and I was a little taken aback when they started shifting gears in the second episode, because the first one is all procedural. It's just, we're going to go to this beach house and confront this rich guy, and Mm -hmm. we find a a dead body in a lifeguard station. We need to to prove we can do the private detective genre right, so they do in the pilot. So yeah, uh, the pilot is pretty much all private detective stuff, and and we set up some like background character stuff. And then in the second episode, it's focusing more on their emotional honesty and how open they are and how kind of wounded they've been kind of kind of establishing that there's going to be a through line with this conspiracy Mm -hmm. but yeah it takes a takes a real step back and makes it real real chill um uh, meanwhile we've also got uh uh donald logue's ex-wife gretchen Mm -hmm. uh, played played by by kimberly quinn kimberly quinn and she's getting remarried to lauren dean remember when lauren dean was a thing uh he he was he was gonna be big for a second He he was in mumford (laughs) <laughs> I like the film Mumford before right. before he had sons. There was this movie called Mumford. Oh my god! And Mumford, Mumford's actually a cute film. It's about a guy who moves to a small town and he's a psychiatrist. And the town is called Mumford. Yeah. His, his real name is actually Mumford. So he moved, he's Mumford. He's, he moves to but Mumford. He's also a con man. Well, he's a con, he's a con man, but he's not like. He's just conning he's people. Not, into, he's conning people into thinking he's a psychologist. He's not trying yeah. to con him out of money or anything like yeah. that. He's just pretending to be a psychologist, and he's trying to be a good psychologist. And it turns out, even though he doesn't have training, he just listens well, and everyone starts to really like him. And they're because he's so nice and so good to everybody, they ignore all the red flags that he's clearly not really a psychologist. Yeah. Uh, there's like and this he, one. He finally confides in one of his patients, played by Jason Lee. Right? Yeah, I remember when Jason Lee was going to be a big thing. And yeah, well, Jason Lee was a big thing. My name is Earl was a huge oh, sitcom true. for a while. Apologies. Yeah, Jason, Jason Lee Jason made Lee big did, on TV. Jason Lee did fine. Yeah, uh, but yeah, he confides in Jason Lee. It's like I'm, I'm not really a shrink, and also I'm in love with one of my patients. And Jason Lee's like, oh wow, that's like a, it's not me, is it? <laughs> no, it's not you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, oh, I, okay. yeah, I guess it'd be fine. worse if you were a shrink and you were in love with one of your patients. Yeah, <laughs> like this makes it not so bad. So yeah, that's Lauren Dean. <laughs> that's and, a cute um, film. Watch it. A big plot with uh, with Hank and Lauren Dean is you know Hank is not over him being dumped. Yeah, he, he doesn't like that he was divorced, and in fact, there's a big plot about how he's trying to buy the house that he and his wife shared which i love the bit where he's got because a lot of like the first few episodes is him trying to make enough money to put a down payment on the house 
that he and his wife shared. This is the house where he was a, a completely raging alcoholic. Mm. And he goes to an AA meeting and everyone's like, this is the stupidest thing you could do. This is absolutely going <laughs> to trigger your alcoholism. Mm. You need to not have a constant reminder of your alcoholic past and your divorce. And he keeps doing it anyway because it just means so much to him. Yeah. yeah. It can't let go. Uh, uh, and additionally, he starts, because he's a private investigating, mm. starts looking into Lauren Dean's past. Yeah. Uh, and the the character out- is named Jason. Uh, yeah. And... It turns uh, out he's actually got a pretty weird and disturbing past. Yeah, he's got like a lot of like shadows and skeletons in his closet, and yeah. it's really, really kind of horrifying. And again, in another uh, wave of emotional honesty that this show has, yeah. uh, he's going, and it, this lasts for like maybe three of the episodes. We're, we're not going episode by episode because a lot of it is just a grand arc as to what happens. Yeah, it's a little hard to do. Uh, but but uh, yeah, there's there's like a two episodes where he's investigating a Lauren Dean. Yeah, and at first and it seems like he's fine, you know? It, it, like, he's, kind yeah, of a, he's kind of a dweeb, he, but he's, he's fine, okay. Like, yeah, but, uh, yeah. you know, Hank Dalworth starts finding all of these like little things in his past that seem a little bit suspicious. He like, digs deeper and finds some criminal stuff. Well, yeah. Like le- legitimately weird criminal legitimately stuff. Legitimately disturbing. Yeah. Um, there He was... Um, it turns out that his family was implicated in a horrible series of sex crimes mm. uh, that were never entirely proven, and he was a minor at the time. So he is concerned that, you know, here's someone who might have a history of sexual violence. And he tries to tell his ex-wife that, and she's like, he told me that. Yeah, he yeah. was innocent of it. He was young, too. He was also, Even t- you know, like... She, she said, he told me that on the second date. And yeah, so, like, this whole thing that you thought Logan he was keeping from me... standing there with like, egg on his face. Yeah, yeah, and so he's just like, yeah, oh, oh, emotional honesty. Mm. Oh, we should have had that. Yeah. <laughs> and, granted, it's, and granted, that's still a really dark subplot. And it's the mm. sort of thing where I'm really surprised... That she's that gung ho about mm. it, but then again, we really don't get to see that first revelation or how she dealt with that and what kind of well, conversations that they had. She, well, she, she's intelligent; I'm sure she looked into it. Yeah, and, and you know, so if you trust her intelligence and her emotional intelligence, uh, Gretchen. If you trust Gretchen's name. intelligence mm. and emotional intelligence, and we see no reason not to, mm. you want to believe her. But he's also like that's a huge deal. Yeah, that's huge. And so yeah. the, there's like a little bit. Like it, I feel like Gretchen is dealing with this in a very adult fashion. Yeah, she's trying it's, to. Yeah. She, and uh, and it's Hank Dolworth who has a lot of growing up to do because yeah. he's he's damaged himself by years of addiction and mm-hmm. and violence and just not treating his job very well and just kind of falling to pot. Now he's kind of like using this private investigation to get back on his feet. And really that's, that's character writing one one, but in Mm. a good way, it's uh, you have someone who is really good at something in this Mm. case, being a private detective or a detective. And that has made him really bad at something else. So you can Mm. see him in the driver's seat, pushing the story forward, being confident, cool, fun, sexy, even, and you also see him at his absolute worst with a lot to learn. And you see this in most of the great characters, everyone mm. from Sherlock Holmes to Rocky. You know, it's basically, yeah, he's he may be good at one thing, but his life is a shambles. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's why, and I, honestly, and Dulworth, uh, Dulworth, Donald Logue knows how to play that. Yeah. He's been yeah. playing some variation on that most of his like, career. Like intense and... In- yeah. Intelligent sad sacks. Yeah, it, it, intelligent sad sacks are to Donald Logue mm. what any Shakespeare character is to Kenneth Branagh. You just know <laughs> if if he's in that role, the role will be fine. He knows what to do with that. Ooh, what what Shakespearean role would be good for Donald Logue? I, I, I mean, Falstaff. Falstaff, is kind no, of like the easy one. That's but. the obvious. <laughs> okay, fine. We'll take Falstaff out of it. It's too obvious. Yeah, not, 
apart from Falstaff. Apart from Falstaff, Who, who's and like you got to be, and you think got to think of him now because he's an older guy now. He's never going to yeah. play Romeo or something like that now. So, oh, well, yeah. yeah. Um, who D- would Donald Logue is he uh, would uh, the jester in King Lear? Oh, there you go, the fool. The fool. I think mm. he'd be a really good fool in King Lear because the fool in King Lear is like many fools and mm. Shakespeare actually rather intelligent and insightful. Yeah, uh, and uh, that could be cool. And is really bitter about everything. Yeah, I that by that, yeah. I think it'd be cool. Um, to mirror uh, Hank, we have uh, Britt Pollock's sub- subplot. Mm, yeah. And this is like straight up soap opera 101 story yeah. beats. And I think they play it well, but it is kind of predictable. Because what, uh, what happens is yeah. uh, Katie, the yeah. Lauren Allen character, is uh, studying to be a vet. Yeah. And she's uh, a little older going to college with a lot of younger people. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they're getting started on that journey. Like she's about like, 30. She's so in her 30. Yeah, I, she's... I, when I was in college, we had like some people who were like 10 years older than everyone else. Yeah, and it's yeah, fine, yeah. but I'm sure the experience is very different for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's, so she's so. constantly being invited by her classmates and her teachers to various school functions. And she's not going because she's older and has other stuff to do. And in about halfway through the season, uh, Brit even encouraged her, go, go hang out with your friends. Be cool. And then she gets drunk and, uh, Almost has sex with one of her classmates and instead has sex with her teacher. Yeah. Yeah. And, and she, she wakes up, you know, in her professor's bed. Just like, oh, yeah, she's like, oh, she's horrified. And initially we don't see that. We don't see like the seduction or, or, or is it worse? And initially mm. I'm like, oh God, was she, was she drugged? Was she like, yeah, was she taking advantage? And then, but then the, the startling thing and the disturbing thing, um, for the character, obviously, mm. that would be much more disturbing if she was assaulted. But, you know, the unexpected thing is that she actually just says, I was drunk, but I knew what I was doing. Yeah. And I was she, just frightened of commitment. I knew he was more increased in, interested in commitment than I was, and I didn't think I deserved him. And I sabotaged the relationship, and I felt really bad about it immediately afterwards. And then, of course, obviously she gets pregnant, and she doesn't know whose it is. Which, again, that's, that's, that's soap opera stuff. That's you sex once and you That's pregnant. a little tired. I mean, yeah, I mean uh, it happens, but, like, it's, uh, the odds uh, are pretty slim. It, it, it can, yes, but, yeah. but it, ha- it happens so often in movies, it becomes a plot contrivance. Exactly, and uh, it, it, that's, that's not usually how that works. And... Uh, but I appreciate um, Laura Allen's performance. Oh, she actually, sure. She's really good sort of selling these kind of cliched moments. And uh, I, I kind of appreciate the way it played out because she tells Hank first. Mm-hmm. She's yeah. like, I, I It's almost I like in this... Seven yeah, when Gwyneth like... Paltrow was telling uh, Morgan Freeman, yeah, I'm yeah. pregnant and I don't know if I want to keep it. Mm-hmm. And he has a long conversation with her about it. if you make this decision, you might be on your own on it. You might not want to tell him. Mm-hmm. That kind of thing, and yeah, yeah. So she's got this on her on her chest, and she has yeah. to get it get it off her chest. And she tells Hank, and Hank, in a, a rather diplomatic way, says, "Keep it a secret." Yeah, uh, and he's not like, "Oh no, if you tell him, he'll explode and he'll kill somebody." And there's something at no, stake. It's like, no, it'll, it's it'll just, hurt his feelings. It'll just hurt him. And if you're just if you if care you about the relationship, but this is really the only yeah, time this you, is ever going to happen. If you don't tell him, and this is like clearly yeah. an aberration, then just don't tell him, and you'll be okay. There's there's a lot of movies and TV shows that struggle with the morality of honesty regarding uh, infidelity, and yeah. of course, we're assuming we're not in like a polio relationship where people would be fine with this, but it actually would be considered a betrayal. Um, I have seen shows where the idea is honesty is always the most important thing; it will hurt, but we'll get through this. Mm. I've also, I think, it was like Sex in the City talked once about like. Is it more selfish to give myself a catharsis and hurt their feelings? Yeah. Because like, I this would never happen again. This was my mistake. Mm-hmm. And it shouldn't have to hurt them. And maybe we'd be better if I just kept it to myself. And that was my penance. Was that this is something I have to like just endure alone. Mm-hmm. There's not great answers to that. 
Yeah, honestly, yeah, yeah. like I would personally, I'm of the I'm of the school of honesty is the best policy. Mm-hmm. Or otherwise, at, at best, you're gonna live with resentments and and yeah, all I've, kinds of shit. So I, I've seen a lot of a lot of stories. Yeah, that that sort of uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell them or they find out in some yeah, way. Yeah, uh, there aren't a lot of stories about I kept it a secret and we were happy for fifty years after. Yeah, the only but, one I can think of, well, kind of, it's not quite the same thing. But I was thinking of uh, and and of course the filmmaker is. Ugh. But uh, crimes, uh, crimes and misdemeanors. Oh, there you go. Where like a big part of the story, there's a story. There's a guy who overthinks every single moral decision in his life is a shambles, and then there's another guy who is cheating on his wife, and she gets pregnant, and he has her murdered, and he's fine. And with he gets it. away with it. And, and he's, yeah, and he's fine no, with it. No he, moral problems. And and so it's all a matter of how much you worry about it. Mm. Really, and it's, you think about the context of the filmmaker Woody Allen. That's kind of a really uh, gross storyline, yeah. but well, there, there's yeah, there's a, that's also the plot of Match Point, another Woody Allen, another Woody, movie. yeah, yeah. So, so you're, a lot of red start, flags. Start to wonder a little thing, uh, well, yeah. more than you're already wondering about Woody Allen, yeah, um, right. Uh, but that story plays itself out because eventually uh, she can't handle the guilt. She's just yeah. she feels completely horrible because they this. go to Gretchen's wedding and it's just full of reminders. Mm. And he starts th- and she starts noticing that she might be pregnant, mm. and he starts pushing because he because he's excited and, about. It. Well, and he noted he notices she's pregnant because she threw away a, a pregnancy test yeah. and he finds it in the trash. I, I, it's such a dude I thing though to assume that she was pregnant. I mean, the fact that she's not telling you might mean she wasn't. And, and yeah, it was a false scare. And that, yeah, why would you make the assumption? And of course, he runs out and buys a ring because he loves her and he was going to do it anyway. Mm. And yeah, it all comes out real bad, yeah. real bad. And uh, I, I appreciate though that it came out, and they were both completely devastated by the revelation. Yeah, there's like two episodes but, where they're just miserable. But they continue to communicate, yeah. and I th- and not and not in a painful way where they're just sort of screaming at each other about. Ah, I mean, they're sad, and it's not they're, happy. They're, they're, but, they're like, sad, they're, and there they're was, there's through, betrayal, yeah. and they're they're hurt. But at the same time, yeah. they both realize that the relationship can still exist. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I think that's maybe a little bit more of a mature view than yeah. of, of infidelity than we get in a lot of stories. I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of the relationship uh, skill that we got, and again, this is a whole, this is all a collaborative medium. The actors are inspiring, influencing Ted Griffin. I'm sure does a lot of it, but knowing that Leslie Headland worked on all these episodes goes a long way to my thinking that she might've had something to do with how rich and nuanced the relationships are. Uh, she's a really great screenwriter. She did that uh, remake of a she wrote that sc- a remake of about last night uh, with uh, mm-hmm. uh, 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 it was, uh, Michael Ely. Michael Ely, thank mm-hmm. you. I was I was gonna say uh, almost human. Yeah, Michael Ely because he was in the yeah. show Almost Human, uh, and that's a really really great remake. It's a really the, a lot of good relationship stuff in there, and also the, uh, Sleeping with Other People, which is one of my favorite yeah. rom coms the last uh, decade. We've been to her house. She uh, was nice. I think <laughs> I, don't, I think it was. Uh, it was like a rental or something, whatever. Uh, yeah, she, whatever. It, was, it was like a temporary we, we, home. I, I, it's one of my great regrets. We did an episode of a podcast with her, and we were talking about like the greatest romantic comedies of all time. It was really wonderful. It was really insightful. And then I go home, and the audio was ruined. Yeah, the we audio lost was that. It was like, it was like almost two hours, and we lost the. Oh, and we just thing. you just can't go back yeah. after that. It just killed my soul. It was such a good episode. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have a lot of respect for them as an author. Um, but um, yeah, so I'm trying to think of. Uh, and, uh, what, do you want, what do you want to go from that? Well, as, as for we we talked about sort of Hank's arc and mm-hmm. you know sort of how he's trying to to buy his house back and make good with his ex wife in some way by yeah. hurting her 
new fiance, which of course is not the right way to go about it. Well, he's his, his idea is that he's yeah. protecting her, but of course that's his way yeah. of insinuating himself into her life, which is. I appreciate how committed he is to uh, staying dry. Yeah. There's yeah. Uh, there aren't a lot of scenes where he's like holding a shot glass, like ready yeah. to, to to dive off. The, it's the really just the again. one episode where Gretchen's. It's the day Gretchen's getting married, and it's a really shitty day for him, yeah, as you yeah. can imagine. And he decides to gate crash the wedding for a minute, yeah. <laughs> which goes really really bad. And then by a sheer coincidence, at that same hotel, something involving the conspiracy is going down, and that's yeah. a big distraction. That's pretty contrived, but whatever. Uh. The conspiracy is pretty interesting if you bother to follow it. Yeah. Because so much of the show is devoted to the relationships, you might lose the thread after a while. Mm -hmm. Because it involves essentially the lone gunman at one point. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, they do have their own little group of nerd hackers. Who are fun. But yeah, yeah, I'm sure if the show had gone on, we would have gotten to know Uh, them better. Oh, there's also, we forgot to mention, Hank's sister. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Played by Donald Logue's real sister. Yeah. um, Let's see. Let me look up that character. Yeah. you can do it. It's 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 here in it. front of me. Steph, played by Karina Steph, Logue. Karina Logue. Um, yeah. Initially, it seems like uh, he has like maybe a rat or a raccoon living like, in his in his uh, floorboards, and then it turns out his sister has been has, squatting in the attic. Yeah, she's uh she's got a history of severe mental health issues, and she was in an institution, and she broke out, and she has been hiding in his house for days, and he didn't know she was there. <laughs> and the first thing, he, and he's very responsible. The first thing he does, hides everything sharp. Yeah, just like, and he's continuing the plot. He's talking about plot points, and he's removing everything that could possibly be sharp. Mm. He's he's been through here before. He loves his sister very much, and he's trying to protect her. That's Hank in a nutshell. He's trying to protect everybody to a fault. And there's there's no uh, like diagnosis. We don't uh, learn not really now what's like what she's been diagnosed with or why she was. Eventually, we see that she is definitely has trouble. Distinguishing reality from fantasy, yeah, which and there, narrows it down a bit. But and I'm no doctor. she actually gets pretty much a whole episode, yeah, where she's constantly looking out the window at the house across the street and goes across the street and goes inside and plays with a young girl who lives there. And then we realize later in the episode that that was all in her head. Uh, all a fantasy. Yeah. She goes back and she realizes, wait, this this is all different. Yeah. Everything's changed. Where's the little girl that was living here? And that's when she kind of has a little bit of a moment where she realizes she needs help again. Yeah. And uh, she goes back into the mental institution. Yeah. I, but I, yeah. I, I like her, though, because she she's not defined by that mental illness. No, in fact, she's defined by her fierce intelligence. Yeah, well, and, and also her, like, really flip sense of humor. Mm-hmm. It's like she just calls calls the shots. And she's very kind frank. of calls people out and, you know... Yeah. She's actually a very likable character. Yeah. And 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 it's she's not there to just be a sidekick or be a thorn in Hank's side or be funny. She actually because or, she like or went just to, cheap drama. Well, because know? she like she actually went to college and studied a lot of things and as a result, she actually has some help to do with the plot because the overarching conspiracy open the conspiracy opens with first episode uh, Hank and Britt are investigating the disappearance of one of Hank's old friend's daughters. Mm-hmm. She is, she's missing. And it turns out she may be missing because she was dating a local politician or a local uh, rich uh, uh, entrepreneur, and uh, she might have taken something that is in evidence that could be proved something wrongdoing. Yeah. Uh, they uh, find this... her. turns out the evidence was a sex tape, which accidentally included the guy admitting criminal wrongdoing. Mm-hmm. And then they managed to... S- Squirrel her away, get her out of there, like send her down oh, to Mexico. Yeah. But when they finally get back, it turns out that the dad has been murdered. Yeah. And so they, what they do in order in uh, in order to get back at the guy, 
who did all this and who even went so far as to hire them to resolve the issue to his satisfaction is they they take the murder weapon and they hide it in his house and they frame him for murder and their justification is he probably did it (laughs) (laughs) which is pretty fucked up but he's clearly a bad person so it's hard to get too mad and it's definitely one of those film noir you know nobody's really a good person kind Mm. of things uh, all of this eventually connects to this really, oh, and this this is where we start tipping into Chinatown territory. Oh, it's absolutely uh, Chinatown, yeah. Because, yeah, it's like Southern California uh, and the politics of resource management. Yeah. So uh, there's this uh, soil study that's been floating around, and uh, people are after the soil study. Because it proves the soil is basically poison. Well, like, it's like there's, two, there's two different studies. One says that it's poison, one says that's not. Well, initially, not really sure which is which initially the big reveal is that this big land development deal is on, uh, 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 what do you call it? Like a plot of land that is full of chemicals that would give everyone cancer. Mm. So they can't build anything there. But then it turns out that that was actually part of the scheme all along. They just didn't want to reveal it when they did. And mm. actually part of the scheme was they were trying to scare people off of all that land so they could buy it all up then reveal, oh, actually, the soil studies are fine. And the big reveal towards the end is they were going to use it to build an airport that was yeah, going to be a huge is, cash uh, grab for San Diego. Uh, like, all which, of a sudden, there's yeah, competition for LAX. Of, uh, of uh, uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Oh, where, yeah. Yeah, the, the bad guy just wanted to bulldoze, bulldoze all of the cartoons in, yeah. in the movie. It's like, going to murder all the cartoons. Yeah. And we're just going to build the first freeway because the movie yeah. takes place in 1947. My God! It'll be beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> Quick, easy, fast. Traffic jams will be a thing of the past. Lies. What? It's a beautiful motivation for a villain, especially in in retrospect when you realize that the freeways. I mean, it's a good idea, but they do not work in LA. Yeah. <laughs> the LA freeways are so fucked. They're uh, so fucked up. Yeah, and, and eventually, yeah, we get like more and more people, like higher and higher up within yeah. the the political system, who are part of this conspiracy, who are murdering people. To gr- g- do this sort of like eminent domain t- type of land grab yeah, so they can actually build this airport. It's incredibly complicated, and I think the show does a really good job of spacing out the main plot points mm-hmm. so that it's not just this huge exposition dump. It's like um, it's like when you're watching the Pelican Brief and they just stop the movie dead to explain everything that's in the Pelican Brief, and it's just sort of like, all right. We didn't we, really need to We didn't know, need all of that. You, you want to just give us the important stuff and everything else when it becomes necessary, but mm-hmm. just... Just give us the important stuff. They're building an airport. It's fine. Uh, and all of this comes in with uh, a really fun supporting character yeah. who is like the, uh, this journalist character. Oh, yeah. Uh, the investigative reporter character. A yeah, very Lois um, Lane type yeah, um, who comes in towards the end. I think that might be Laura. I'm looking at the cast uh, here. It might be Laura Ross, played by Allison Elliott. Um, yes. Uh, yeah. She, she's... Um, she and Hank end up like crossing paths and mm. they have a similar case and we felt heard like without Hank's knowledge for a lot lo- of I think a bulk of one episode yeah. and at the end it's like hey I'm, I'm, I'm protecting you because I know you're on the right track well there's and, this really and, good and, bit and there's, and there's a really great wonder bit where yeah. the, he, he's like spiriting her away from danger he's found out that she's yeah. on the like who she is what she's up to mm-hmm. uh, in this hotel and like is able to conspire with her on the fly yeah well, what happened? What happened? What, what he's doing is uh, he's got um, so there's this lawyer who's responsible for everything. His name is Ben Zeitlin, mm-hmm. and he's played by Michael Gaston, and he's the front man for this entire criminal conspiracy uh, organization. And when he sees he's at this uh, hotel, it's the day his wife's getting married. He decides to follow him, and it turns out he's giving an interview to this reporter. And with his lone gunman hacker crew, uh, he bugs the room. Mm-hmm. 
And as he's bugging the room and he's just listening to their conversation, he realizes that this reporter is getting very, very close to the truth of the of the conspiracy. And this lawyer is about to threaten her and her mother. And she doesn't know that anyone's listening in. So he's got to find a way to give her a message to say, A, you're in danger. He's serious. Mm. B, I am sending someone to pick up your mother so she's safe. So don't give in to his demands. Right. And that's a, <laughs> even though that's the contrived episode where this just happens to be taking place at the hotel where his wife's getting married. That's a really good suspenseful bit. It feels like that scene is right out of sneakers. Yeah. That yeah, scene yeah, is really, sure. really great. Oh, by the way, if any were wondering what that humming noise is, we have to record in Whitney's apartment tonight no, for, for reasons. That's and my like, refrigerator. His refrigerator is 80 noise. years old it's, and decides to just go, rah. Uh, come on, it's only 78. And, uh, <laughs> sorry, you, you don't look a day over 60. <laughs> it's quite an old refrigerator. Yeah, sorry. It, so just, it, it goes it's, it goes. It's room. a little loud. At least it doesn't make like a rattling noise. Like no, some no, it's older, so, uh, if you can hear that, that's yeah. why. I mean, if we sound a smidge different, that's why. But I like that character because we yeah. have sort of like a balance for Hank, where he's a little bit more rough-hewn, and she's yeah. a little bit more, yeah, you, know, you described her like Lois Lane, she's a little yeah. bit more professional. Uh, and yeah, I like, I, and what I like is that we have opposite types of characters who aren't antagonistic. I feel yeah. like that's a really cheap way to wring drama. It's obvious. Out, out of and any situation. Yeah, I saw his Soul Friday, if people bicker, it's good, right? No, not no, necessarily. No, it can I, be I, funny without being mad at each other constantly. I, I like the types of characters who are opposites and complement each other yeah. rather than uh, rather than are constantly sniping at each other because I don't want to see yeah. scene after like, scene of people just yelling. That's not interesting. Scully and Mulder don't hate each other. No, and they, they just they just have a very different worldview. But they and work they together disagree, very well. And they even argue, but they're not always like they're each other's insulting partners. each other. Well, it's, it's like yeah, if anything bad happened to you, like I would save you. We care about each mm -hmm. other. It's just I think you're wrong about aliens. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> Yeah, he's, like there's, he's, I know a lot of people like, hey, buddy, I think you're wrong about the movie Dune. I'd still take a bullet for you. Like, yeah. we're not going <laughs> to make that our thing. A, a friend of mine, actually, um, he, he approached me once. He's like, hey, hey, are, are we cool? It's like, yeah, we're cool. What's going on? It's like, well, just I, I really like Mortal Kombat Annihilation and I know you hate it. It's like, well, OK, you have sometimes you have shitty taste in movies, but I still like you as a person. Yeah. <laughs> Like, I don't we, think we less disagree of you because you like Mortal Kombat Annihilation. Which is so sad that when you think about, like, what are modern relationships in the 21st century? Uh, 21st, 22nd century. We're in the 21st century? <laughs> it's the 21st century. Well, I, I want to be in the 22nd century. That sounds great. We're in the 21st century now, and it feels like, oh, what's, what's, we're, and we're like, four, we're in our 40s, mm. and we're talking about, like, what if, if this was about some of our actual serious relationships in real life? What if you don't like Mortal Kombat and the other person gets mad at you for it? No. What the fuck became of us? So, social media this has destroyed our, everything. This is our lives. Mm. Um, but no, this is a good show about people who actually really give a shit about each other. Yeah. And yeah. they can bicker and they can have fun but it all comes from a place of warmth and friendship and love and i can see why this show in addition to just being pretty clever overall mm -hmm. the occasional plot maybe rings yeah, a little more true than others uh, but there, there's the one, characters uh, and their dynamic yeah. and the affection they have for each other makes you want to revisit them i can see why people would want this show to come back yeah there's there was one episode with um uh, a teenage boy with amnesia. Oh, that was forced. That, uh, that, that, went, that, was, that went off was a, the rails. That was a really bad episode. It starts where, off with um, there's just this kid in a diner and he's kind of making a mess of things and it turns out he took some drugs and he can't remember who he is. Mm. And they're trying to figure out who this guy is because he thinks he did something wrong. And that flies completely off. It ends with like drug runners breaking into Brit's house, yeah, kidnapping his girlfriend and the guy she slept with. And it's I, I seriously, by the time that happened, 
I just had to like put the show down for a minute. I'm like, I have no idea how we got here. <laughs> like, I don't know if yeah, it this, feels this, this, like it feels like I missed a scene. Like, this, it's this really is like a lot an epi- episode out of out of the Bone Collector series yeah. that we saw, or it's oh, like yeah. something really kind of lascivious and pulpy. Uh, and yeah, there's that plot also involves like yeah, he's mm. taking drugs and losing his memory and he doesn't know who he is and he might have committed a horrible crime and. There, uh, there's also a supporting character of a, a transgender sex worker. Oh yeah, who yeah, yeah. Uh, who is actually a big part of that episode, and yeah. uh, they actually like delve into that character's personal life I w- a lot. I wish that character had gotten more to do because the whole idea is uh, Donald Logue is at, no sorry Brett is asked to. Uh, this guy says, "Hey, my my college age cousin or brother or whatever uh, engaged mm-hmm. the services of a sex worker." Uh, who took the money and didn't give him any of his services. Mm. Could you help him get his money back? And he finds the sex worker, and it turns out that she is trans. Mm. And she realized in the middle of the transaction, while while the sex was about to start going on, that this kid didn't realize that. And rather than put him in a situation that might make him really uncomfortable, she decided to split. Mm. Probably should have given him back the money. She admits that. She gives him back the money. That's pretty much taken care of. Or just be a little bit more upfront about it. It's like, hey, She she was worried. And this guy was also very young. He's like 18 or 19. And also think about it. Clearly very inexperienced. And also think about it. You're you're a trans sex worker and you might surprise someone with that. I'm sure there's a lot of jobs who behave very, very badly to that. So I totally understand why they left. So she gives the, she gives the news money back, and then she engages Brit's services again uh, to track down another uh, trans sex worker who has gone missing, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and that all handles that's all handled reasonably well. Reasonably well, I yeah. th- I think everybody is is totally cool with it, and there's yeah. not like well, except for the shitty parents who gave up on that kid who got missing. Uh, yeah, like, yeah, but yeah. but the point is they're shitty. Yeah, and, that's true. And, uh, but I think Brit deals with the, those two characters the most, and Brit's yeah. actually a very sensitive guy. Yeah. Uh, he's really kind of a puppy dog. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate that there's not one moment of gay panic from Brad. Yeah. Where he's yeah. like, what? He's just like, oh, okay. That's, yeah, <laughs> yeah, okay, that's, right. that's a thing. Okay, cool. <laughs> Go on. How does this engage with the blood? Mm. Um, but yeah, episode, that, that, that yeah. one episode, though, is like really... That's a lot. That, that's a lot of television. doesn't click into the rest of the That is the a lot of television well. in one episode, man. That, that one was weird. The mm. one episode that I actually really liked is like a standalone, even though I actually think it's a little darker than it needs to be and it kind of hurts Donald Logue's character a little bit uh, there's this episode where he's trying to get a loan to put a down payment on the house mm. and this one bank or lending service says they won't uh, except the guy who runs the place finds out that this guy who's discredited as shit as you can imagine mm. uh, finds out that he's a private detective and he says I'll make you a deal I think my wife is cheating on me if you can prove it I will. Oh, right, I, this one. Th- this yeah, is yeah. interesting because as this a, is as earlier a, in the series, as an yeah. individual episode, as this an individual detective story, you could pluck this out of Terriers, and it would be like a really solid Dean Kane kind of, uh, not Dean Kane. Dean Kane, the actor? No, not Dean Kane. <laughs> who wrote uh, 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 Double Indemnity? Oh, um, who wrote Double Indemnity? Something Kane. Herman Kane. Her, no, no what? <laughs> John Kane. What did I? Double. How did I do this? I don't know, but it's not Dean Kane, and it's, it's not. not it's not Dean Kane. That's for goddamn sure. It's something Kane. Hurt? No, not Alphonse. James M. Mc, James M. Kane. James M. Kane. Right. Wow, it is late. I've had uh, a long day. Um, I, I didn't know that. I, I couldn't I, have pulled that out. I, I should have known that. He wrote the Thin Man. He's a brilliant yeah. writer. And um, but this would have worked well as like a done in one like short story. But in any case, so he's hired to prove that this guy's wife, played by uh, the great Olivia Williams uh, from Rushmore. Mm. Uh, that she's cheating on him and he follows her around and she going off on her own a lot, like having dinner by herself and like some other things that are just kind of 
odd, a but not suspicious. A little odd. Yeah. I can see. He's like, I can see where you're suspicious, but she's not actually doing anything. So he says, "Good news. I found out she's not cheating on you." And the guy's like, "You're fired, and you're not going to get the the." The, the, the money we, mm. we were going to lend you. He's like, why? I heard you to prove my wife is cheating on me. And the guy's like, but she, I f- good news, she's not. It's like, no, that's not is. what I yeah. want. <laughs> I know she's cheating on me. She's said she's cheating on me. So either you're a shitty private detective or you're calling my wife a liar. So he finally gives up and confronts her directly. And it turns out that the uh, the guy who runs this bank or whatever his, uh, his, he's into that. It, that's his fantasy. He's yeah. he's he's into uh, what I forget what the, I don't know what the exact terminology would be like sexual humiliation, cuckold uh, fantasy, cuckolding. Uh, yeah, just um, I want to use the positive way about it because there's nothing wrong with it if it's consensual. But well, I mean, you know. cuckolding was perfectly legit until recently. Right? Until sort it of turned like into the, like this huge like, like this weird, weird cult, cultural signifier. But yeah, um, but like the idea is the, basically he, basically he's turned on by her sleeping with other people. It mm-hmm. makes it makes him feel good in, in an unusual way uh, in a way that certainly Donald Loke doesn't understand and his wife loves him but is not really into it mm. and so she has been saying she's been cheating on him and but she's actually just been around, going yeah. off and like seeing a movie or getting a hotel room so that it shows up on the credit card but she's not actually doing anything and she does this because she loves him mm. and um, eventually he's just got to prove that he's actually doing it and so in order to do that they have to basically stage a, a cheating yeah, scenario with, with yeah. Brit, no less hmm. and the the episode ends really tragically so he's just and because um he says okay so here's here's the evidence and then the guy is like yeah no my wife told me everything and i know this is all staged and i'm still really fucking mad at you <laughs> well damn it and then and then uh, after all of that olivia williams comes to donald logue and they've had some chemistry they decide to sleep together. I assume it's nice. Uh, and then in the morning, he goes to the guy and he says, I can prove that mm. I did sleep with your wife because I, I grew up cheating on you because I slept with your wife. And, and I can and, describe and, like and, a mole she has on her back and stuff and, like and that. And he gets like really crass about yeah, it. Yeah, he gets too. really crass. And then the guy's like, okay, fine. Here's your money. Cool. And then Donald Logue leaves the room and the guy jumps out the window and kills himself. <laughs> Jeez. Which is uh, the the sexual politics of that in terms of like sort of kink shaming and sort of like this weird judgment of this guy mm-hmm. for what he's into really could have been explored better. And I ultimately feel in the end that the idea that Donald Logue's character was at the very least handled that situation badly. Uh, and, is yeah. is kind of unexplored and he kind of just gets off. Like, Olivia Williams finds out and she's furious, but that's kind of it. And it's one of those things where this horrible thing that really most people just from proximity to this hmm. would need therapy to deal with their you know, the fact that I was involved in this incident and this guy killed himself and maybe I would blame myself for that. Uh, a lot of people would need some therapy to get through that this is TV, so that kind of horrifying, life-changing scenario happened last week, and as a result, we can forget all about it next week. Next week, we can kidnap a dog. Like, it's just sort of like, wow, we moved on from that fast. It's like like an interesting, morally complicated story in itself. They could have, like, continued that for several episodes or or even the rest of the season. That could have just been its own thing. That could have just been the story of a private detective who did this was involved in this thing and it's morally complicated and doesn't know how to feel about himself in the end and that could have been that but when you just have to move on with the plot the next week and the banter continues it ultimately makes Logue's character feel way more callous than it should and I think it's actually yeah. kind of a even though it's like a solid done in one episode it's a bit of a misstep for the series as a whole yeah um, I'm guessing because uh, one of the big 
subplots is is an infidelity subplot. Sure. It's like contrived soap opera dynamics. But that's, but, you know, that, that's a big big yeah. part of it. And here's another episode that's also about infidelity and sort of the emotional damage it leaves behind. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a show that doesn't think very highly of mm. that kink, I'm guessing. I suppose it does suggest, maybe, and I wish they could draw a clearer line, mm. this might be one of the reasons why Donald Logue tells Britt's uh, uh, girlfriend, don't tell. Yeah. Because that guy found out, yeah, and yeah. it did not help him. Oh, that, I, that's, that's, I, that's if true. they had made that clearer in mm. some way, that there was like that, that's what he, he was said, thinking hey, of. I saw this happen, and yeah. it didn't... Re- work out for this one guy yeah, exactly yeah. like that might have actually really really worked and it would have because again you can say to yourself okay maybe that is the right thing to do is to tell her not to tell her boyfriend i would disagree mm-hmm. but it would go a long way to justifying why he would make that particular choice and it's all there in the text i just don't feel like they connected the dots very well yeah uh, yeah I... there's some I, listen, I, I, it's I the first yeah. season of a show there's there's some missteps i feel mm. but Overall, the characters are wonderful. Well, I'm the plotting's really of, good for the most part. This this one was uh, one of the showrunners was Tim Minear, who worked on Firefly, and we've we talked a great deal about Firefly. Yeah. We did a whole separate podcast about Firefly, mm-hmm. and the I, central politics of that show are, are, are pretty fucked. Yeah, um, they're, a, they're, a lot of that's Joss Whedon, though, and we also yeah. have to realize that Tim Minear also did a show that we really really liked called Drive, which did not have nearly as many problems Th- that's true yeah. but uh that there's not a lot of sex and drive no no there's the plots much more in your face about that yeah, that, like this cross-country race time is of the essence but yeah, so most, I, most I, people I, are just sort of like stealing cars and uh, stuff oh uh, truly uh, I, I i i think if a sexist writer if they really wanted to could have found space for it <laughs> now i'm not saying that a sexist writer might have not been able to fit it all in i'm not saying that 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 necessarily means uh, he's not he's not capable of that but I do think that there was definitely could have room could have been made for Indian Drive for really sleazy sexist bullshit if they really really wanted. To. I, I suppose I feel like yeah. a sexist writer would work overtime to work in that sexist. I realize how that sounds, but I'm just saying is that there are plenty of shows that are way more about incident and plot that are sexist, and there are plenty of shows that are about incident and plot that aren't as sexist. Okay. And I'm not trying to exonerate anybody. I'm just saying it just feels like. Well, one is and one isn't, mm. you know. So the the very least, there's there's hope. Yeah. I guess that's all I can say. Um, I wanted to go through. Um, I was just looking over the credits. Um, this show had some pretty amazing directors. Oh yeah, uh, episode by episode. Um, the the pilot was directed by Craig Brewer, mm. who did Hustle and Flow, yeah. and uh, Black Snake Moan. Uh, mm. Most recently, Dolomite is my name, and yeah. coming number two, America. Yeah, he didn't uh, he do uh, the remake of Footloose as well? Was that him, or am I thinking someone was else? That Craig Brewer. Um, I think it was one of the Craigs. Yeah, he did. He did. Yeah, the he's remake very of good director. I didn't. I didn't see the Footloose. It's remake. not. It's not bad. It's not. Yeah. You would think it would be just kind of pointless, and I guess we didn't need it, mm. but it's pretty good actually yeah Dolomite is my name is so good that's Watch an that amazing one. film Hustle and Flow is really uh, really great he's a good director we have a director named Ryan Johnson who is oh uh, he'll go he'll go far he'll go places from 2010 yeah well he already he already had he'd already done brick and stuff so like yeah, you know he, but like he only got bigger and bigger yeah you know, now, now he's probably best known for a Star Wars picture although I'd see although ironically the thing that actually ended up shooting his career into high gear was his Knives Out yeah, just turning uh, into like a Netflix franchise for like uh, an astounding amount of money. So good uh, for him. We had uh, John Dahl who directed an indie film called Red Rock. Red Rock West. He did The Last Seduction. Yeah, very uh, good. A, Mars a, uh, Rounders. He did a yeah. film called Joyride with uh, yeah. Paul Walker. Very, very, very good. Un- un- underappreciated, I feel. Most people don't really talk about him and his oeuvre. Mm. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's, it's one hit after another, basically, mm. or at the very least, 
acclaimed film. And uh, and we had a uh, sparkling star of Halloween H2O, Adam Arkin. Oh, yeah. Son of Alan Arkin. Uh, Co-star who, of Pig. Co-star of Pig. Mm-hmm. Very good um, Pig. Mostly known for his acting, but also directed. And yeah, yeah he, he directed, I think, two or three episodes. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, good for... Look up at Adam Arkin. He's had a yeah. really weird career. I, I looked up a film of his called... Uh, it was called Full Moon High. Oh, yeah. Uh, which he was in in like the early 80s where Ed McMahon played his dad and they went on vacation and he became a werewolf and it was clearly a knockoff of I Was a Teenage Werewolf, but yeah. before Teen Wolf came out, Weird. it beat Teen Wolf to the punch. Well, because there, there had been that sort of like I Was a Teenage Vampire. Was yeah, like, there, there, were, there were a lot of like, those like, of um, David Hasselhoff in one of those? David Hasselhoff. Wasn't David Hasselhoff in like an early teen monster movie? Oh, I don't know. Maybe I'm thinking of someone else. I will I mean, look you, you that up. That feels of, like the sort of thing. You I might be thinking know. of Michael Landon, who was, I'm thinking of Michael, who Landon. was the teenage werewolf. I'm thinking of Michael. I was Landon. a teenage werewolf. I'm thinking okay. of Michael Landon. That's exactly okay. it. for me. That was looked a little bit. But yeah, I, got, I got to write yeah. about uh, Full Moon High because uh, it was an, uh, an yeah. early notable role for the late great Bob Saget. Ah, yes. Who was like in three scenes playing three different characters. Uh, but yeah, Adam Adam Arkin directed a couple, and uh, uh, Ted Griffin, the show's creator, directed a couple as well. Yeah. Uh, Terriers concludes. I mean, obviously, not everything is is wrapped up, but uh, by the end of the by the end well, of the it, series, it leaves us on a cliffhanger. It leaves us on a bit of a cliffhanger. But basically, what it boils down to is this: uh, Britt didn't handle the whole my girlfriend slash fiance uh, cheated on me thing very well, and he thought she had slept with one of her students, one of her fellow students, sorry, mm-hmm. uh, and and beat the shit out of him. Like waited for him yeah. outside of a bar, approached him, yeah. and just beat him up. Yeah, and so he was arrested and ultimately convicted of assault and battery. Uh, so he's going to go to jail at the end. Meanwhile, they've wrapped up more or less the whole conspiracy plot. Mm. Uh, certainly, it seems like this exact we, exact scheme has been messed and up. And we know we met the bad guy because he was played by Neil McDonough. Yeah, I was going to get to this. <laughs> you have to you have to reveal that there's like someone above like the lawyer, someone above like the entrepreneur, someone who's been pulling these strings all along. And in two scenes, you don't get a lot of real estate. Pardon mm. the pun. Uh, to introduce this character. So casting is going to play a big role. You want someone who is not only recognizable, but is recognizably kind of villainous. You know, if you've got like... who plays a lot of heavy. Like if you'd, get, if you'd gotten Bob Saget, it wouldn't have played. You mm. need to someone who's like... You're like Clancy Brown. Clancy yeah, Brown yeah. would have been good. Uh, uh, that Perfect example right there. And who they got was Neil McDonough. Neil McDonough... Has done some heroic type roles. He played. Uh, he was in the Captain America First Avenger. Uh, he was in Minority Report as one of the good cops. Yeah, he, um, he was one of his early uh, early roles was the remake of Angels in the Outfield, yeah. and I think he played just sort of like a baseball player. Yeah, I don't remember that very well. He played but, Lieutenant uh, Hawk yeah. in Star Trek First Contact. Ah, yes, the the red shirt basically in he, that he movie. He was the red shirt in that movie. Yeah, he was like built up just enough so that when he died, he'd be like, "Oh no, Hawk." It's such we had so many adventures. Uh, but oh, and he was in Ravenous too. Little connection yeah, that's right. there. But uh, but in any case, he uh, he built up himself up like a bit of a cottage industry over the last twenty years, playing a lot of bad guys. Mm. He was M Bison in uh, that Chun Li movie with Kristen. Oh, oh, was he really? I didn't. Yeah, see he one. played M Bison. Oh, it was God. hilarious. Um, and he had like a, he had like a really. I, the only thing I remember about that movie is he had a really sweet bromance with Balrog. Played by I think Michael Clark Duncan, like they were really close friends. Oh, that's really cute. <laughs> that was like, the only thing I remember uh, about it for years because I, I first read the name M Bison off yeah. of the Street Fighter Two screen. I yeah. played the arcade game when it came out. Uh, I thought he was Monsieur Bisson. Oh, 
and that Bison. I, and so I called him Monsieur Bisson for the longest time. Well, you know why the main bad, bad guy in Street Fighter 2 is named M. Bison, right? Well, I, I know now uh, uh, that they actually accidentally it like jumbled some of the na- character names yeah. when they brought it over to the United States. Yeah, the villains in the game, like the main boss fights who initially were unplayable, unplayable characters. Now, of course, you can play them, but... There's, uh, there's Balrog, Vega, and M. Bison. And, and, and uh, Sagat. And Sagat. Uh, Balrog, Vega, and M. Bison were accidentally switched. Their names were all switched together. Sagat was always Sagat. So the, the main yeah. bad guy was supposed to be Vega. Yeah, which is more of like a generic main bad guy, yeah. a little more enigmatic. And then uh, the uh, Matador character was going to be Balrog. And the oh no, he's, he's um, yeah, it's like a masked guy with claws. Yeah, but, he's, but he, the idea is he's like a he's like a matador. He's wearing like matador like a uniform, oh, okay. and he's in like a kind of a cage. Mm-hmm. And he's throwing roses, and mm-hmm. um, and then, and then the a boxer, and then the boxer character who looks a lot like Mike Tyson was supposed to be called Mike Bison, mm-hmm. and or or M Bison, or M, sure. they, they call him M Bison, mm-hmm. but clearly you're supposed to think Mike Bison. Mike Bison. Uh, and yeah, so just when it came to America, there was a little bit of a snafu. Nobody really noticed or cared. And the main bad guy was now called M. Bison. Why? Because and, and it's a the, fuck up. And the boxer is Balrog. And, and now we're and stuck the, with and it. And the Matador is Vega. And, and now we're just stuck with it. We just yeah. don't question it anymore. Uh, yeah, I, for the year, for years, I thought it was yeah. Monsieur Bisson. <laughs> yeah. Like, seriously, like you watch that like Street Fighter movie Neil McDonough is in. There's like this weird scene where he helps someone give birth in a cave, but it's all what? evil. And it's like, it makes no fucking sense. He played. He, uh, he's, he's he's played high and low. He's been yeah. in a big uh, low budget thing. He's been in big budget things. My, my, my favorite the... two part like double feature with Neil McDonough because they're both really bad movies. Uh, there is Paul Blart Mall Cop Two, which stars Neil McDonough as a bad guy who holds an entire uh, hotel hostage, a la Die Hard. Mm. And then there's the good, movie. Good role for him. He, 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 he's he well cast. It's, sleep, a, it's yeah. a bad movie, but he's well cast. And then like a couple years later, he was in a Netflix comedy called Game Over. Uh, in which he played uh, a bad guy who took an entire hotel hostage, like in Die Hard. And they're both comedies. Oh, dear. It's the same goddamn role. I, I, I wouldn't like be surprised t- if he was playing the same character. Like, I would, it's I would weird. like to talk to Neil McDonough. Were you playing the same character? Were you did, twins? Did you, know, you notice that this was exactly what you did in Paul Blart 2? Mm-hmm. Did you think, did, did your agent say no one's going to notice? Because I hate to break it to you, I did. I realize I sound I, uh, harsher than I mean to, Neil McDonough. I'm sure you're a nice guy. <laughs> uh, he seems like a perfectly decent I'm guy. Sure he's a and, decent and I actually guy. admire him as an actor. I sure. admire his professionalism. He's, he's a very talented actor. Yeah, I've never seen him like blow me away in anything, but he's always but doing his job. He was in, and I only learned this recently, um, mm. the, a lot of people have been t- making a lot of hay out of uh, Bruce Willis' career mm. recently. How Bruce Willis has been taking just job after job of, of these like low budget garbage yeah, low budget genre stuff. movies and and they're pretty unilaterally bad from mm-hmm. what i understand i haven't seen a one of them no. but you know if, if you go to red box you're gonna see a lot of bruce willis and neil mcdonough plays the bad guy in one of those and mm-hmm. i saw some clips of it where he uh he's like a hunter who like keeps severed human heads but bruce he has, willis like, or neil mcdonough neil mcdonough okay and he has this like special like transporter room where he sticks the head in and it vanishes and like appears in on his trophy case like the science fiction device (laughs) and i think and i think they did that because the 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 trophy case is covered like they're all behind doors so we don't actually see the severed heads and you can tell that this like science fiction device was clearly just like somebody's closet you can see where they removed the door like the dents of the hinges and they just have like this green light coming up from behind and he sticks oh his God. hand in and That's there's hilarious. some smoke and there's an edit. It's like the cheapest thing. 
Like that's the, the, that's something amazing. You, something you would have made in high school. That's and this amazing. is like an actual professional movie. That's so great. I kind of admire that Neil McDonough will still do that. It's a job. And, and he's professional too. He's like, mm, okay, it's a science Well, I admire, ah, I admire any actor who can balance that. You know, like, mm-hmm. I'm a professional, hardworking actor. I will star in an entire season of this hit TV series, Legends of Tomorrow, and I will play this iconic character from the comics. Uh, but I'll also do a straight-to-video mm-hmm. Bruce Willis movie because I had a week free in February. Uh-huh. You know, like, I admire working ethic yeah. actors people who just do the gig and you can't not honestly he's played a bunch of superheroes too he played uh, green arrow he played dead shot he was in green arrow no he played green arrow i think he played green arrow that was that was like an alternate reality episode or something uh, he was in a tv show called dc showcase green arrow oh and uh, and he played green arrow I don't know what that. Uh, I don't know what that is. I know he played. He played. A, he, played, a, he, played, a, he, played a, he played one of Green Arrow's biggest villains in like season four of Green Arrow. Oh, there you go. So yeah. that's why I think that he's, might be some uh, kind of alternate reality episode or something. He's played. Bru- he played Bruce Banner in the '90s Incredible Hulk animated series. Oh, that's fun. Uh, he's been around. Yeah, he's and, been doing and, a lot of work. And what, so when he shows up, it's always kind of delightful. You recognize yeah. him. He has got and, piercing and, blue eyes and blonde hair. And the second you see him, it's like, oh, he's the bad guy. Cool. Yeah. And he played. He yeah. underplays it, which I like. Like he doesn't consider himself a bad guy. You know, he's like, in fact, he's been distant. He's distanced himself so much from all of the actual evil that's been done on the show. I wouldn't be surprised if he's unaware of half of it. No. But he also doesn't seem to lose any sleep at night. So (laughs) that's a nice little bit of storytelling. The end of the show is everything's more or less wrapped up. Uh, Gretchen's husband has been killed in this conspiracy, which is, which resolves that plot but is also like wow she's it's, been through a lot it's pretty aft actually yeah and... it's pretty messed up and so does and uh, so that's rough uh but uh, so that's what happens there um and at the the episode ends the final episode ends with uh donald Logue and uh sorry, donald, what's his name in the uh, character hank hank hank, yeah. hank and brit uh are in a car and it's a little like the ending of the 25th hour Mm-hmm. Where it's basically like, okay, if You're we turn to go to prison, if we turn left, we go to Mexico. We, we go to Mexico, and I will do that with you, and we will totally just live off the grid, and that will be our life. Or you go to prison for like eighteen it's months, like three years. It's like three years. Now. It probably like gets on African behavior, but he's going to prison regardless. Yeah. And it's a serious, it's serious prison, uh, and that's the end. Or what choice are they going to make? They're, yeah, they, they cut before he makes a decision, and the, yeah. presumably season two would be about the decision, whatever the decision. And I'm was. sure they'd be coy about it for like 15 minutes or something before they actually revealed mm. what they did, like that second season I, of Felicity, where you're not sure who she ended what, up with. Uh, what ending did he want? <sighs> like, if they okay, I'm gonna, uh, there's season. two answers to that question. All right. There's two answers to that question. What I want for the characters. Is for Brit to go to prison, get time off for good behavior, or maybe figure out some sort of scam that's happening in there, and they let him go because mm. he figured out there's some like corruption in the prison, and it's yeah. all, and that's a good two part episode or something like that, and it resolves that. Uh, what I kind of want for the show is for them to be in Mexico and do everything <laughs> they're doing in Mexico? and do everything they're doing on the lamp. Okay. Do everything like everything that they're doing, but they're kind of in, put like, a little, a little bit of an A team spin. A little on, bit, like, but like it's, it's not like it's not freelance like rogues. But they're not in San Diego. People. I want them to just be living in Mexico and mm-hmm. solving crimes in I don't know wherever they are, Tijuana, wherever they are, and but also knowing that they have made choices that have limited their options, mm-hmm. and that could actually be a really cool season of television. So I, I think both would be fine, but I think the the, the critic in me mm. wants them to go to Mexico, and I think the person who loves the characters wants them wants them to go to prison. Yeah. And deal with his, 
responsibilities. Uh, I think it, if I were a television writer, uh-huh. I would want them to go to go to Mexico because you there's I would. Oh, okay. Because there's a lot of story possibilities there and a lot yeah. of character possibilities there. It's also really contrived, and it's sure. the easy way out. I think having him go to prison and do the moral thing is going to be, quite frankly, the more interesting and also more difficult to write story. I think you're going to need like a, like a solid half season mm. of Hank out of prison and Brit in prison, and you're sort of cross-cutting between their storylines. Because mm. you definitely don't... Here's what you definitely don't want. You definitely don't want to cut to Brit getting out of prison. That oh, would okay. be... A, I think that would be a cheat. I do. I yeah, think like they skip forward like a year and three, a half. Yeah, a year and a half, three years later, whatever. Brit's out of prison and he's changed or whatever like that. I don't want that. I don't want to have... It's the first season. I don't want to have that big a break in the characters. Okay. I would Maybe if you were season five and you wanted to, like, going into season six, mm-hmm. we'll do a big time jump in order to they, sort uh, of reset the clock or something like that. Oh, have a new status quo. That in? Um, oh, it was Burn Notice. Oh. Um, the Gabriel Anwar character uh, was arrested at one point, and yeah. uh, a large part of the next season, she was just in prison. Oh, there you go. Something I appreciated is um, her character, uh, you know, she's always you know, helping out uh, the... Um, who's the lead of that show? Um, oh, uh, the guy... Jeffrey Donovan. Jeffrey Donovan. Jeffrey Donovan. Um, like, she's helping him out, and they are... Uh, they used to date, so there's this kind of like antagonistic, will they or won't they? Maybe they're regrowing their romance sort of thing. And mm-hmm. they lo- both look like a million bucks because they're in they Miami do. and they're always doing their hair up and they're, they're both <laughs> doing their makeup. And when she goes into prison, they were very careful to let Gabrielle Anwar grow her original eyebrows back. Oh. So her eyebrows are a lot thicker when she's in prison. Okay. You can tell for the show. It's just, like they, they made her pluck thing. her eyebrows. Yeah. You don't it's get to go detail. to a salon. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. she's clearly not in there That's like cool. plucking her brows every day. I can, I can, but I also know shows that did the time jump really well. One of them was um, the reboot of Battlestar Galactica. Mm. Uh, there was an ending of one season where, you know, they've been looking for Earth, this mythic place called Earth. Right. And then there's this one season where they think they might have found a place that isn't Earth but might be good enough. And then we cut to a while later and see how that's worked out. It has worked out so badly. <laughs> it's so fucking horrifying what happened. Um, God, God, I love that show. I want to rewatch that now. I wish I had time. All right. Anyway, you need to watch was, that one of these days. I was like, they're the smash cuts. There's a, yeah. a smash cut in, uh, of all things, one of the SpongeBob movies <laughs> where. Um, the, the uh, local burger, the, the entire economy of SpongeBob yeah. revolves around a single burger joint. Like, yeah. that's the only thing Which that Which is just matters. not sustainable. It is in the world of SpongeBob. I mean, apparently not. <laughs> t- talking sea sponges and fishes and all the ha- and what have you. But uh, yeah. it, it closes down. And, exactly. It's not sustainable. And they said, well, uh, our burger joint is closed. How long before we become post apocalyptic warriors? And there's literally just a smash cut where yeah. nobody moves. They're just all of a sudden in like the. The post-apocalyptic road warrior, like, guard, road yeah. warrior gear, and there's yeah. fires. It's underwater, but there's still fires. <laughs> Do not question SpongeBob. SpongeBob is... It's just lunacy. It's yeah. complete nonsense. Yeah. I, I kind of like those movies. I, I, haven't, like I, haven't seen, I haven't seen the show, but I like I didn't, those I, didn't, I only saw the first movie, but I liked it. And I've seen a few episodes of the show. I've, it's, I've, it's the same thing. I've seen all three of those movies. And then they're... they're Fucking weird. The second one is totally bizarre. Yeah. Oh, because the other one's fine. <laughs> the I mean, they're, they're, they're all really strange, yeah. but that second one especially. The third one has you know, Keanu Reeves like as a live action head and a tumbleweed. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, Danny Trejo plays Satan. Yeah, uh, if uh, Terriers had lasted 100 mm. episodes, yeah. which it wouldn't because it's the FX model, 
they would probably give it like six or seven seasons and then wrap it up on its own terms if they really could. Well, six or seven, that's 100 episodes. Mm, not for a 12 episode a season show. Oh, I guess not. Like that's that's that model really. It's like that sort of event programming. Um, but regardless, you know, if it gotten if it gotten its full run. Um, I think one of the cool things about this show is that a lot you can do almost anything with it, honestly. Like you there's mm-hmm. definitely things that would be out of character. You want to keep it working class. You want to keep it small. Uh, but again, you could do a season where they're in what? prison. You could do a season where they're in Mexico on the lamp. Both of those things are equally plausible, and you could get to one if you don't get to the other one later. What I would so there's a lot of possibilities. Well, there's a lot of possibilities. What I admire about Terriers is it does do a lot of really predictable, recognizable uh, mm-hmm. soap opera stuff. Sure, but it does it in it does it well mostly, yeah. and so I'm willing to forgive a lot if it's doing the story well and the characters are yeah. doing it well and the actors are really selling it. Yeah. Uh, and unfortunately, that means they would continue to do some of that stuff. I just know that there would, there would be, be more, a, there'd be an arc where Hank falls off the wagon, or Hank sleeps with Katie, or, yeah, or, or, yeah, or, or like he gets that. back with the ex for a little bit, and there's yeah. all of us like push and pull. And Brett has an identical twin. Uh, sure, why not? <laughs> oh yeah, and it turns out I have a sister, but we also have a brother that I never talked about. Yeah. You know that kind of stuff. Like, well, you never told me I had a brother. I have a half brother. Yeah. <laughs> His name is Cybok. Cyborg, oh god! <laughs> you you just know like their parents would start getting involved after a oh, while. Yeah. It's like, and so I'm I'm His not. Dad looking... would be played by Brian Dennehy. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, Dolog's Canadian and Irish, so who's who's like a good Canadian or Irish like dad type who could play uh, that really well? Uh, Brendan Gleeson. I mean, yeah, he's a yeah. well known Irish actor. You know, you get Liam, look like him. Liam Neeson. There you go. Oh, they're not gonna get Liam Neeson. They're not going to get Not it. in 2010. No, not in 2010. There's was, no way. He was still, he was he was, still he was, riding high off he, of He was just off of Taken. Point, His career yeah. was having this huge resurgence. There's no way you get Liam Neeson. There's not. Maybe. Brian Cox. You could get Brian Cox. You could get Brian Cox. You could get Brian Cox. Mm-hmm. Brian Cox, uh, who, who is also the voice of McDonald's commercials now. Is he really? Which I can't get over. <laughs> After seeing L.I.E., that's got a little tough to take. It's so fucking weird. It's just everyone's like, you just hear Brian Cox like, ah, Burgers are good and stuff. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And I'm like, what? <laughs> the fuck? I, how, how, how successful is Succession? Holy shit. I saw Brian Cox in an episode of Red Dwarf back in oh, the day. Wow. Uh, and he, there was like a medieval episode. They let be, beam down to a medieval planet. I know they don't beam in that show. But um, mm. yeah, he uh, they played outtakes over the credits. And there's like, yeah. he couldn't remember his lines and take him uh, and have... Cut off his head <laughs> and peel off his peel off his skin and um, feed it to the dogs. <laughs> and that was almost like a better reading than yeah. the sort of straight one he gave. I love Brian Cox uh, yeah. so damn much. Uh, but yeah. But back to the point. Yeah. Uh, the point is Brian Cox. Well, the point is, I, I there's there there would be a tendency for this to teeter over yeah. into contrivance because well, it was already sort of leaning that direction. Yeah, and I would hope that if they continued with another season, that they would be wise enough not to lean into the contrived areas. That would be the fancy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, in any case, uh, it's time to make the call. Mm-hmm. I think I know what we're voting for. Do you think Terriers was canceled too soon? I think it was. I think I want yeah. to see a little bit more. Even, even though I have a little bit of trepidation, I have yeah. faith in what I've seen. And I yeah. think Donald Logue's really strong. I think the characters are really strong. Yeah. I think it's a weirdly mature show. It is, For, for the kind like of it. setup they gave us. It seems like it's going to be like a goofy, bro-y, hmm. almost like a stoner kind of yeah. uh, comedy. And uh, no, it's actually quite intelligent. I think it's definitely, every once in a while it pulls out a legitimately great 
private detective story. Mm. Uh, the overarching storyline, eh, fine, not really where my interest is. The soap opera dynamics, sometimes they push it too hard, but ultimately, I want to hang out with these characters every week. Yeah. And that's a lot. That's all. That's what you want from TV. And uh, there's plenty of other adventures they could go on that would be really, really exciting. So yes, I agree. I think Terry's was canceled too soon. Uh, and that is it for this episode of Cancel Too Soon. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you for your patience, by the way. And I know. Waiting for me to see this. Uh, we'll be back real soon uh, with an episode that ties into one of our Patreon exclusives. That's Over right. at patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network, we have a lot of exclusive shows. Uh, one of which has been going on for about a year. It's over a year now, right? Oh, it's been a while. Hey. We've been doing it for a while. Uh, it's been called Holy Batman. It's uh, W-H-O-L-L-Y, entirely Batman. And we've been reviewing every single episode of the 1960s live-action Batman TV series starring Adam West, Burt Ward, and a cavalcade of celebrity guests playing villains like uh, Penguin and Catwoman and King Tut and the Riddler and so on. Well, we recently reached, as of like this week, uh, the final episode of the live-action Batman, but Burt Ward and Adam West continued playing Batman and Robin in a few other pieces of media and we're going to be covering most of those on our Patreon, but one of them was a one-season animated series from 1977 called The New Adventures of Batman, starring Adam West and Burt Ward, yeah. and, Burt Ward and their new sidekick, Batmite, which yep. is basically like giving Batman the great gazoo. Was Batmite introduced for this show? Because I know Batman is was also a part of the comics. Ba uh, ba Batmite I mean, we'll talk about this when we get to of it. Of course he yeah. will, but uh, I believe Batmite pre-existed uh, the show. Okay. Uh, however, I will do more research and we will cover that in more detail uh, mm -hmm. very soon. But in any case, that's coming up next and we're looking to have a very special guest, a uh, friend of the show and very close friend of me, uh, mm -hmm. my partner, M. Lapis da Silva, uh, who is one of our animation experts. Uh, they're going to be joining us for that episode to talk about mm. all things Batman and all things 70s animation, and it's going to be really exciting and fun. And then we will continue to talk about more Batman in the Patreon-exclusive environment, but then we have a lot of really cool episodes uh, lined up on our schedule for Cancel Too Soon, so please stick around. We've got some more cool stuff coming. Right now, the plan is to alternate Cancel Too Soon and Critically Reclaimed. We do one one week, one the next week, and go back and so that's, on. That, that's that's the plan. We'll that's see, the plan. We'll see how well we can adhere I, to I that. I think we can do it if we if we get used to Whitney's schedule. And again, this is all new. Yeah, this, this is all... This is, is, we, I, we had a status quo for two years, and, and it just, changed dramatically in a week. And just we started thought it was this, gonna, this new job, yeah. and I've had it for less than a month. We and, yeah, thought we knew what that was going to be like, and then life threw us some curveballs, and we're like, okay, we need to reorganize. And so we're working on it, but that's where we're at. Hmm. Uh, so, um, in any case, that's what's coming up next in Cancel Too Soon. We also have all our other shows here, the Critically Acclaimed Network. Uh, we have a lot of other shows on our Patreon, patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. Uh, we're on Twitter at critic acclaim. I'm at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. If you would like to discuss terriers or anything else uh, on the show, you feel free to email us. Our email address is letters at critically acclaimed.net. Uh, or you can write us a actual physical letter. Whitney, what is our P.O. Box? Uh, yeah, send us a, a letter. It's P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. And if you send us a piece of correspondence electronically or otherwise, we might read your email in an upcoming episode of our podcast, We've Got Mail. So feel free to take us to task if we were wrong about something. Ask us a question about eh, whatever, podcasting, film criticism, film television. It's something random. What's our favorite gum? Whitney, what's your favorite gum? What's my favorite gum? I asked you. I don't know. Really? I don't, I don't have a favorite gum. You don't have a favorite gum? I. You know what? I started uh, when I was working as a projectionist. Uh huh. 
which required a lot of late hours, yeah. especially when you're projecting like two and a half hour movies starting at midnight. Yeah. You need a lot of caffeine. Yeah. It gets really I found sticky. something that they only sell at gas stations What's that? called Rev Gum. It's caffeinated chewing gum. Nice. And it's like slow release. It just like releases caffeine very mm. slowly into your system rather than a big jolt, like a cup nice. of coffee. So, uh, That's cool. That that was that was my favorite gum for a while. That that nice. gum was my friend for a little bit. Nice. I'm gonna die. <laughs> my heart is gonna give out when I'm 50. Well, it's, I assume significantly safer, although I'm not 100 percent sure in the statistics, is uh, caffeinated soap. We actually sell mm. caffeinated soap. My my partner and I we have a mm. soap store called Salt Cat Soap, uh, which is on Etsy, Etsy.com/shop/saltcatsoap, or you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Salt Cat Soap. We'll have a link there. One of the products we sell is caffeinated soap. We call it our Vampire Hours Soap because vampires are up very late. Uh, and it is caffeinated, and it makes your skin tingle, and it's really fun. Um, we have a lot of other soaps there. We debut new soaps on the first of every month. We've got glow-in-the-dark ghost soaps. Uh, we've got our lesbian vampire soap, which smells like vampires allegedly smell like, according to the novel Carmilla. Um, <laughs> we have a lot of... And that's just our horror-themed stuff. We have a lot of like wonderful floral sets uh, and our ocean floor bars, which look like the ocean floor with the salt standing in for sand and everything really cool um anyway all that is available at salt cat soap thank you everybody who's already bought some of the soap our reviews have been fantastic and it really means a lot to us that people are not only buying the soaps but enjoying them so thank you for everyone for that and i'll i'll hype a podcast i was on another podcast um for uh, the the better part of the last six months um i and a wonderful podcaster who ran her own uh podcasting network called the screens margins did a podcast called all about ovid it's all about ovid o-l-l-o-b-o-u-t-o-v-i-d ovid is a streaming service and they do a lot of deep cut art house stuff and a lot of international cinema the the, the films that you heard about that were playing in museums uh, are on this service and uh, B and I would watch something on that service and we'd talk about it at first on a weekly basis then we moved to monthly it is now uh, on indefinite hiatus. It is mm. pretty much shut down for the time being. B is taking care of some personal stuff. Uh, and uh, But our last episode just went up kind of recently, where mm. we talked about uh, Academy Award-nominated uh, animated short films. Nice. Well done. Uh, there, there's a, a collection of those on Ovid. Very so, cool. Uh, I recommend Ovid, just in Please. general, but yeah. I also recommend... Uh, B and my conversations about those things because uh, B has a lot of interesting insights. Yeah. She's a very interesting person. Very cool. Uh, and seriously, check that out. Wonderful work. Um, so anyway, that's it for Cancel Too Soon. We'll see you next time with the new adventures of Batman from 1977. And of course, we have a lot of other shows here critically claimed and our Patreon in the meanwhile. Uh, that's a wrap. We will see you next season. <laughs>